This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of The Other 14 Podcast. The only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. Welcome to the Halloween episode, the spookiest episode of the year. Well, at least for a few of our members of the other 14, with disappointing results easy to come by this week. But it's not all doom and gloom and there were some monstrous performances and some massacres conducted by our high flyers in the other 14 club. This week, as always, we are joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello. Um, Tom, we had a thrilling week of fixtures. We may be missing some ghosts and ghouls, but there sure are some demons in the closet for some of the teams in the Premier League this week. Yes, Reese. For some, it was trick last week and trick this week. For others, the reverse. And quite possibly, if we fit in any more Halloween-related puns, it may be a frightful show for our listeners. And episode 13 is unlucky for some. Um, on Halloween. Exactly. So looking at this week, speaking of... Uh, some teams that might have been a little bit scared come 90 minutes. Forest losing 5-0. It's not um, not really the sort of performance that Steve Cooper would have wanted, particularly after such a, such a strong performance last week in getting uh, all three points at home to Liverpool. Yeah, absolutely. They would have been buoyed last week with the performance that they put in at, uh, at home against Liverpool, taking all the three points, um, especially when Liverpool absolutely battered them during parts of that game. They would have been buoyed by that performance and then coming to the Emirates just was a complete opposite. I mean, it's a very strong Arsenal side right now. I wasn't really expecting massive amount, but you would have hoped to have seen something maybe a little bit better from that Forest side. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems to be a Forest side that their defence has tightened up quite a lot over recent weeks. And it seemed back to back to Forest of about game week five, didn't it? But yeah, absolutely. Five, um, which is a disappointing result. And other uh, disappointing results, um, Bournemouth looked so good 2-0 up against Spurs and then and it all kind of fell apart for Gary O'Neill's men, which continues their quite poor run, doesn't it, after such a good start for him? Is that winless in four now, I think? Yes, it is winless in four. It's their third defeat back-to-back now, but it has them sliding down the table at an mm, alarming rate. It really they're, does. Now, they're now just sitting two points above Leicester in the drop zone. Yeah, exactly. What could have been a Super Saturday, sort of reminiscent of uh, the summer gone by of 2012. Um, We had two of the other 14 teams picking up wins against the Big Six, and it could have easily been three when Bournemouth were 2-0 up. But that Spurs comeback sort of put any, um, doused any any flames there. Exactly. I was really excited seeing them 2-0 up, and it's a lot to ask for. Regardless of who you're against, a 2-0 lead, you've always got to be disappointed throwing it away, regardless of who's in the team you're playing and who's managing them. Especially at home as well. Particularly at home. But then Bournemouth, I don't really think it's a threatening place for teams to go. It's not a big ground. They don't sell out every week. Um, I'm, I'm not sure there's much to be feared if you're the away team going to Bournemouth. No, it's a nice trip to the seaside at the moment. <laughs> exactly. Bring your bucket and spade. You might dig up three <laughs> points. And first things first, over to Tom with the classified results for the game week. Here are the classified results for game week 14 of the Premier League 22-23 season. Leicester City 0, 1. AFC Bournemouth 2, 3. Brentford 1, Wolverhampton Wanderers 1. 
Brighton, Herb Albion, four. One. Crystal Palace, one. Southampton, nil. Newcastle United, four. Aston Villa, nil. Fulham, nil. Everton, nil. One. Leeds United, two. Five. Nottingham Forest, nil. One. West Ham United, nil. Oh, so we did have some good results in there for the other 14. Really did. We did. Uh, some big six scalps right in there. We might as well head straight into the big talking points. Got to kick off with Brian, I think. I think we do. It is the quality of one's convictions that determine success, not the number of followers. These words were spoken by Remus Lupin, written by the 21st century writer and bigot J.K. Rowling, and they seemed more prominent than ever for Mr. Potter on Saturday afternoon. After he moved to a bigger club, his project at Brighton has been ticking along nicely under the guidance of manager Deserby. After a few bumps in the road, Brighton have got a result that they really did deserve to stop their poor run of form. Um, in doing so, they've taken another scalp of the top six for the other 14 with an almighty 4-1 win at home to Chelsea. Tom, do you think Potter will be questioning his decision to uh, move clubs again? Ultimately, no, but it was not really a, a, a fantastic homecoming really for Graham Potter, was it? I mean, there's there's losing a game and then there's losing a game in, in the fashion that Chelsea did at the weekend, you know, 4-1 with two own goals as well. I mean. Everything about that Brighton performance surmised what Graham Potter had done for Brighton in um, in the years gone by. And he was effectively a victim of his own success, though, I felt. And Deserby's still sort of finding his way in the um, in the Premier League, trying to get his own spin of it. It's still going to take some time for him, obviously. So that's still very much at Graham Potter's side that played at the weekend. Um, and yeah, it was just... This Brighton side, who, like you said, had been on a bit of a poor run of form, really getting back to um, what they had been doing so well so far uh, this season. Just a fantastic performance. Trossard and Gross looked unplayable at times and Amex was bouncing. Absolutely. Um, I felt, I don't know, maybe I didn't feel sorry for Potter, but when the you Brighton You've got to question fans... the booing a little bit. I, I questioned the booing, but then I did find it very funny when they started chanting, you're getting sacked in the morning. <laughs> which is obviously greatly unfair and he's not going to get sacked. No. You hope so, anyway, but Todd Bowley seems a a bit of a maverick. For me, in terms of the performance, two own goals from Chelsea, but I think Brighton fully deserved it as a result. They completely outplayed Chelsea, limited their chances to just a small handful. They were by far the better team and played like it. It, You wouldn't have energy. Exactly. And looking at the game, ignoring the score, if you just watch the play, you would have gone, oh, well, which one of these is apparently the better team? Yeah. Um, because it definitely looked like Brighton was for large chunks of the game. And you know what? Deserby has to be really happy for that result, not just because of the three points, but I guess when you're going up against the former manager of the club you're currently at, yeah. you've got a lot to prove. Exactly. And... <laughs> and to win 4-1. Mentally, the last one was very late in the game, but it was and was already a foregone conclusion at that point. Um, but to now be comfortably where they are in the league now, um, sitting in eighth, because they had kind of dropped down a little bit to kind of that mid-table vagueness, but they're back up competing for those lower, uh, lower European places. So obviously, Brighton are no strangers to getting points from the uh, big six, having 
got that draw from Liverpool earlier in the season, but they're now above Liverpool. And yeah, it was their first win in quite some time with their for last five games, this being their first win in them. Um, fantastic performance from them and some really good goals as well. I thought that Trossard's absolute man on fire at the moment, isn't he? He can't... He, him, and and we'll get to Miguel Almiron later, they are the probably the most informed other 14 players at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, you have to say that at this point of the season, if you were to sort of try and draft up a um, a team of the season from the other 14, Trossard's name would definitely be one of those that you'd um, include in the list. He just loves a game against the big six right now. You know, he scored um, last week against City. He's got a hat-trick on, in, in the bag against Liverpool and now he's scored against Chelsea. He just loves a game against the big six. And sort of going back to um, Brighton overall, this is sort of something that we did sort of discuss in the in the preview pod, the the thing with Brighton. We we expected them to have a, a strong-ish start to the season and, and play well and not really be sort of any sort of any sort of worry about sort of relegation or anything like that, that they were going to start off quite well. And then talking about the potential of Potter leaving and then a new manager coming in, whether or not they could sustain it and whether or not with the squad that they have, they can continue the form. It has sort of run out that way. Um, and for them to put in a performance like that was just sensational. And it is good to see them back because we were starting to worry a little bit. And especially with the Chelsea side who under Potter so far have been playing quite well. It's just good to see that sort of performance level, especially at home when considering the last sort of couple of seasons when they've been up in the Prem, their sort of home form has been okay, but they've not really been getting the goals. I think I mentioned on a previous show that they scored like 19 goals in in their home games last year or something like that or something yeah, they're not, they're, that, yeah, they're, not, they're not free well last season they definitely weren't free-flowing in terms yeah. of the goals were and they? i think it was only like five wins at home or something like that and um i think they're well on the way to sort of surpassing that and it just sort of shows the growth in this brighton side yeah absolutely and it just i suppose the tra- the transition from potter to deserby obviously that he picked up a win quite early on but it hasn't been plain sailing for him but he's looking like it's starting to stick isn't it and like he's getting his message across and they're playing how he would like them to play um but yeah absolutely thrilled for uh Deserby and his men and to be honest it's always funny when another when a uh when a big six team loses isn't it Tom well this is the whole this is the whole point of the pod yeah this is this is why we exist this is the sort of moments that we live up for for when the other 14 actually take on the big six and then get a result and that that's ultimately why we are here well, because most, like most, not that I'm saying we're alternative media or anything like that, but ultimately people will be more pointing their fingers at Chelsea going, where were Chelsea bad? Where were the team underperforming? All these superstars, what were they doing? And to be honest, you sometimes just got to put your hands up and go, well, Brighton just played really bloody well. They, yeah, out- exactly. they outperformed them. And yeah, Chelsea on their day, had they been, uh, had they played up to the standard that all those players could do, they might have won the game, but... They weren't. They weren't up to. They weren't up to at the Amex. They came along. I don't know whether they expected an easy game, but Brighton were all over them like a rash the whole game. High energy, and they just didn't know how to cope with it from uh, from the first minute. No, exactly. And um, just a quick sort of um, do over. Deserby is that was actually his first win. Is that his first win? That's his first win. I could have sworn he got in his first game. He got he's, a win. He's, his first game was against Liverpool. I'm pretty sure, wasn't it? 
Wow. If Let me just have a double check. Yeah, I need to have a look at that because I could have sworn you for the life of me. Uh, so so his first game was against Liverpool. Was it? There was Potter's last game then the... The 5-2 against Leicester. Oh, it was the 5-2 against Leicester. Isn't it? Oh, and wow. then they lost, lost to Spurs, lost to Brentford, drew against Forest, lost to City and then played Chelsea. Wow, okay. Well, I for the life of me, I thought their start had been a bit better than that for De Zerbe. Maybe because, in all fairness, a, a three-all draw at Anfield is a quality result, to be honest. Yeah. Well-ish. Um, it felt almost like a win at the time. Yeah, it definitely felt more like a win, particularly with the Trossard hat-trick. Yeah. So, well, well done to Zerbe on getting your first Premier League win. Um, Congratulations. As, yeah, as uh, Brighton manager. That's great. And looking uh, at their couple of games just leading into the World Cup now, because we've only got two game weeks until that's happening. I'm so excited. Indeed. They're away at Wolves next weekend. I feel like that which, should be a win. Which you do feel like should be a win, given how Wolves play football at the moment. Yep. And then home to Aston Villa, which once again, considering how Aston Villa have been playing recently, even under new management... Mm. It is one game after Emery, so it's difficult to judge him. Yeah, it is. And we'll talk about the result at St. James's Park in a bit. Yeah. Um, but you know what? You wouldn't surprise you if they went and got all uh, all six points going into the World Cup. And then that puts them in a really solid place to then kick back on in December when football resumes. Yeah, exactly. On uh, Thursday and Friday, you typically get the manager press conferences where they talk about uh, team selection issues. They may have injuries and um, other questions fielded to them by journalists. Jesse Marsh's was a bit different from the usual kind of injury report, wasn't it, Tom? Um, it was very different. He seemed a bit like a stroppy toddler, maybe a teenager, because he's. <laughs> I wondered what you were going to say then. Um, so, uh, do you know what? I'm going to let Jesse's words do the talking for our listeners. I'm tired of tight matches where we are in the match, and in many cases, better than the opponent. I'm walking away with nothing. I am tired of not capitalising on moments when we are the better team in matches and tired of giving away goals too cheaply. And I'm tired of not getting results that we should be getting. I was 14 years a player, 13 years a coach. I have never lost this much in my career. <laughs> and I'm sick of it. I am trying to find out which guys can be counted on at the highest level right now. Um, I think Jürgen and the Liverpool squad listened to that press conference and on uh, on Saturday they mistook what time of year it was, thought it was Christmas and not Halloween and decided to give Leeds all three points. It's a bizarre, bizarre thing for a manager to be coming out with, but then his team did deliver afterwards. Yeah, I mean... Um, Joe Gomez was definitely one of those that was sort of prime example of gifting a, a goal. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a more gift wrapped goal in my life. Um, but just the whole sort of comment was just sort of quite weird. The fact that he's never lost so much in, in his career. It just, I mean, well, I'm, for, I'm looking... for me, I thought, well, you do realize you're at Leeds, <laughs> yeah, they do typically Leeds. lose more than they win, exactly. I mean. In terms of sort of looking at his managerial record right now that I've literally just got up, apart from like his spell at New York Red Bulls and Red Bulls Salzburg, he's had spells at Montreal Impact and RB Leipzig as well, where his win percentage is around sort of like 30, 33 up to sort of 38% with those teams. Um, and Leeds right now is sort of a similar sort of level. Um, 
and he's eleven eleven defeats in twenty five for for Leeds United. Whereas with RB Leipzig, his last team, there's nine defeats in twenty one. So, I, on a statistical basis, it's sort of very similar. But it, I mean, maybe that was just Jesse trying to just stoke up a little bit of fire. Um, felt like he was a little bit under pressure and just wanted something out of his um, players. But yeah, um, it, it obviously worked. Well, they had been five games on five losses on the bounce, I believe. Um, I don't think it was that. Many... Oh, yes, it was actually. Yeah, it's five. Uh, one, two. Um, it was five defeats in six with a nil-nil draw in between there. Yeah, so they had been underperforming. Well, I don't know. Had they been underperforming or just losing I games? Don't... I think it's... it's an interesting one because, especially we mentioned comments um, a couple of weeks ago when Leeds played Villa. Um, that was the nil-nil draw about sort of entertaining football to entertain the fans and sort of speed of play and everything like that. Mm. They've been close in games other times. They they lost two one to Palace where they were one 0 up. Um, they were I think they got handsomely played off the park against Fulham the other week. Well, but that, um, I suppose the thing is when he's saying I've never when he's going on about losing games that they should be winning. Um, a lot of their games are quite close. So they only lost by one goal to Fulham, yeah. um, to Arsenal, to Palace. Um, Got a fair few draws, only lost by one to Brighton. Like they have been involved in a lot of close games, but ultimately, I don't think you can get sulky just because you don't either have the tactics or the players yeah. don't aren't playing well enough to kind um, of cross yeah. the line and get all three points. I, I wouldn't say they've particularly been unlucky. It's just been close games, but they just haven't had the results go for them. That that yeah. is, they they have been sort of playing well is one thing but just sort of there is a performance level coming from from Leeds and it is it is clear to see and I sort of get the frustrations in that sense but there hasn't been really a game where I've gone oh Leeds are so dominant they deserve to win and then they've kind of just lost out at the last minute I think the games where they have all the games that they've lost I think yeah they may have like just a couple of chances could have gone the other way and they won but I wouldn't say that they were absolutely playing their opponents off the park and it was like unlucky or a refereeing decision cost them. No. And and in, in that sense I would sort of get I would get the tirade, um mm. the strop from from Jesse. But um ultimately this lead side, they're down in a position that I expected them to be. I don't know what Jesse was sort of thinking when he sort of came into into the side as we've discussed. So well done for winning, I guess. And we do have to sort of congratulate these because that is another 14 going to going to Anfield of all places and picking up three points. You oh, know, a, a, absolutely. That is a I think that's their first time that they've won at one in Liverpool. Um God, I think it's like since the early two thousands. Yeah, it's an absolutely incredible results for them. Um yeah. and full respect. But then I do kind of look at who's managed to get points against Liverpool this season. Um we have like yeah. teams that have got points from Liverpool from the other 14. Fulham have, Palace have, then Everton have. And Brighton have. Brighton and Forest. Yeah. And now Leeds. So that's six of the other 14 who have who played Liverpool either home or away yeah. and got a win or a draw. Exactly. If, if you want to play one of the big six teams right now, you want to be playing Liverpool. Yeah, I'm not sure there's one... I can't think of another big 16 that has had such a poor result against the other 14 and there have been so many 
The thing is, I don't even like there have been some games where the other 14 have played well. Like you look at Brighton, they scored three goals and got the point. I don't think Le- Leeds played particularly well. I just think Liverpool were. No, Liverpool. Uh, hang on, I was, I was... sorry. I'm now spiraling to this kind of usual media spiel that you get. You get talking about oh, how Liverpool were poor and not Leeds were good. Yeah, we're talking um, about exactly the thing that we said we wouldn't do. But but there is an extent where they were gifted. Like that first goal, um, where Rodrigo scores, um, it is such a pullback pass from Joe. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's sort of laid up on a plate for him. He, he couldn't ask for an easier sort of finish. But then an 89th minute from um, Somerville. I really rate as a goal. Really good touch, like really good close control and a nice little kind of deft half volley volley into the far post. Yeah. And and that was on a period where I think Liverpool had had the ball sort of knocking it about for like the last sort of 15 minutes and decided not to do anything with it. And then just Leeds sort of have one sort of opportunity on goal. Some of it, like you said, really nice um, sort of close control and then just puts it past Alisson, who had yeah. been for the last couple of weeks, have been kept keeping Liverpool in games for a lot of the time. Um, so, and he's one of the best keepers the in the country. Was, oh, he is. And the finish was really good, though. It was really only just clipped inside the post, didn't it? It wasn't... Yeah. yeah. So I don't think... I think it's more the defence to be blamed than anything. But I think it was just a really good goal. Yeah. But I do think that if Mo Salah had scored that, everyone would be absolutely wowed and amazed and you'd see it 500 times um, on social media about, oh, look at Salah's touch and finish. And But because the... Because the forward is called Crescencio Somerville, doesn't quite have the same ring, and because he plays for Leeds and not Liverpool, there's less of a hoo-ha made of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, hope, hopefully this will cheer Jesse up a little bit, and yeah. um, he can sort of say that, oh, I've actually won a game now, so we can actually sort of exactly. move on from my little strop. Well, and that win does take them out of the bottom three. We were speaking last week about how Leeds hadn't done anything to prove to me that they shouldn't be in the bottom three. I still think that kind of is the case. But they have now picked yeah. up their first win in quite some time. Um, and <laughs> looking at some stuff that's gone around social media, um, there was uh, we had a whole prime minister where uh, Leeds didn't get a win. So um, they didn't get a single win under uh, British Prime Minister Liz Truss. So they the last one was under Boris Johnson's premiership. And oh. now it's under Rishi Sunak. So if Liz Truss is weak or so couldn't get any worse. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, absolutely a great result for Leeds. I'm still not convinced the performance was there. So, maybe... I think yeah, this is the opposite now for Je- Marsh, because he, he was saying, oh, I've never... Um, yeah, sorry. He's From his exact quote, I'm tired of not capitalising on moments where we are the better team in matches and tired of giving away goals too cheaply. Well, to be honest... Um, I don't think they were massively the better team in the match. Um, I don't think it was. I don't think they were massively the worst team, um, but they did capitalise on the moment, and they weren't the team that gave away a goal too cheaply. To be honest, yeah, exactly. So you know, Jesse, calm down, take a bit of a chill pill. It all come together in the end. You've taken one of the scalps of the big six. Just relax. Chillax, man. Well, I suppose this is the thing. Was he getting so worked up because he was worried about his job? Like was there that much internal pressure? You do have to question to... it sometimes. Yeah, was he was he under I, I, a lot of pressure I, I think, to deliver? Because we had spoken fans about might it. start to be getting on their back, and there was some sort of you know what what Leeds fans are like with Marcelo Bielsa. There was sort of some chance with Marcelo, I think, recently. So yeah, we'd spoken about the pressure that him and other managers were under. Um, to be honest, he's we had talked about him being maybe the next manager to uh, get the axe. Um, but 
looking at their next two games, though, uh, before the World Cup, they're home to Bournemouth. Anything could happen. Yep. And then away at uh, the new Shite Heart Lane. So, um, once again, that'll be an interesting game to watch for them at the uh, final game week before the World Cup. So, oh, Jesse, just breathe. Take a moment. Cheer up. It will all be fine in the end, mate. You got the three points. Exactly. So speaking of scares and unpleasant experiences, it wasn't great for Unai Emery's return to the Premier League. Um, it was never going to be an easy fixture with an away trip to St. James's Park, as it is something that most clubs would dread this season due to Newcastle's unbeaten record at home this season. Before the Villa game, they had 12 points from a possible 18. So that was three wins, three draws. But then they turned it into four wins and three draws. Uh, but it was a 4-0 home win that has now kept Newcastle um, in the top four. And they're keeping pace with the other European contenders at the top of the table. I know it's very early days, but this Villa side, once again, didn't look up for a fight. It's almost as if it was back to Gerald Ball straight away. Emery has quite a long way to go, doesn't he, to change this team into a team that Villa fans will be happy with. Yeah, it wasn't the fantastic um, trip up to Tyneside for Unai Emery for his first game in charge. But I I think judgment on Emery in terms of performance of a Villa side will take some time to see because he still has to get to grips with the squad and, and everything like that. Um, and he's like you said, he was coming up against a Newcastle side that are un- unbeaten since August. Um, so it was always going to be a tough job, but it was very much a chalk and cheese type of performance from when they... Who did they play last week? Was it... Um, they beat Brentford, didn't they? They That was it. Beat them yeah, it was 3-0. Real... No, 4-0. Four, so, four. oh, wow, what a change. A 4-0 yep. win and then followed it up with a 4-0 loss. Yeah, it was a very sort of chalk and cheese performance from... Um, from this bit of sides, you know, from on the highs of Brentford last week to the lows of going up to Newcastle and getting absolutely hammered. And it wasn't so much that Villa was sort of maybe unlucky. There was just an inevitability with the way Newcastle were playing right now and with the way Villa are, you just felt there was just an air of expectation amongst the Geordie supporters that their team was just going to absolutely hammer this Villa side. And it turned out to be that way. There was an inevitability about this result with Newcastle playing the way they are, getting all the results that they are getting and playing really well. And Villa heading towards the wrong end of the table, to be honest. But just tactically, Emery's got a lot to do because I think he's now come into a side where it's all a bit chaotic. There's not really a structure to the team. And that's what Gerard was struggling with. And that's fundamentally why he got the sack. But I'm looking at players like Felipe Coutinho, who was bought in by Gerard because he used to play with him. It was kind of like the big signing of the window. But then for me, it has kind of a ring of the Meza Ozil situation for Emery at Arsenal, where had this attacking midfielder who doesn't really work for Emery's style of play. No, absolutely. And it, it is. <laughs> Philip Coutinho was always one of these players who could go through spurts of form, especially when it was at Liverpool. When he first came in, he was, you know, like absolute dynamite and we're absolutely delighted to have him in in the side. But then when 
our form just sort of really started to drop post sort of, well, sort of the end of Rogers' era and start of the Klopp's era. It was sort of very much either hot or cold with Philippe Coutinho. And it feels very much now that it's sort of cold form, especially sort of his move to Barcelona didn't obviously pay off at all. Um, and he's got the move to Villa where there's supposedly less pressure, but being into or coming into a Villa side where effectively you are the big name star and you are expected to perform the fact that he's got what no goals and no assists this year. Yeah, I think. no goals, no assists, and to be honest, he's then been used quite sparingly. So for final few games um, under Gerrard, he played sixteen minutes as um, against Chelsea. He then was an unused sub against Fulham, then only played nineteen minutes against Brentford, and then was used uh, for only twenty nine minutes against Newcastle. So he's not even really become. He's not a starting player, is he, for them, which is massively disappointing for Villa fans. Yeah, hugely. And, you know, we came into the club um, on loan last year and was sort of like a quite a talismanic figure. And he was part of the Gerrard side that when he when Stephen Gerrard first came in was sort of part of that sort of honeymoon period for um, from Stephen when he first came in. And continue would sort of single-handedly at times win, win them games. But this season, oh, I can remember saw... like the game against Man United where yeah, he was phenomenal. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, that 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 is vintage for the Coutinho. But this season, he's just a complete shell of himself. Um, whether that's a confidence thing, it's sort of surprising if it would be because he was supposed to be, you know, his sort of relationship with Steven Gerrard from his Liverpool days and how he started his loan spell at, at Villa. It it just feels as though it's it's a player completely bereft of any sort of confidence. Um, so it's, it's strange to see him like that. Um, and there yeah. are also a load of other players in there that you would consider just not really putting their weight right now. Oh, absolutely. I think they've got issues all over the park. I think, obviously, they signed um, Diego Carlos as centre-back and that didn't really work out. Um, Mings has then been brought back into the side, even though Gerard then took captaincy from him. John McGinn then... Um, he, John McGinn didn't play in the game after Gerard. He wasn't selected, which was a bit weird. They then got um, the whole, well, in terms of attacking midfielder, do you play um, Buendia or do you play Coutinho? Then up top, it's a bit of a mess because I don't think Ings and Watkins necessarily works together as a front two. It's all a bit chaotic, to be honest. And there's a lot of, uh, there's going to be a lot of puzzle solving for, um, for Emery to, crack on with if he's going to make a success of this yeah um, exactly what Emery's known for is just his ability to get teams to work together and sort of hard working running well and just fully energetic and that's what we've seen from his sort of severe sides and from his Villarreal sides and you know from his um, obviously PSG uh, PSG and Arsenal were sort of like that at the start but then it sort of yeah. fell apart away a little bit PSG is quite a unique situation it is a very um, unique situation we can't really we can't really count that because they're dealing with so many prima donnas it's a yeah it's not great but in terms of introduction back so away at St James's Park difficult they lost 4-0 they're then playing at home to Manchester United next Sunday they're then midweek in the League Cup to Manchester United again but at that time at Old Trafford I was in the League Cup this week as well Yes, it is. And then away at Brighton for their final game before the World Cup. Then when they return, they then 
at home to Liverpool and then away at Tottenham, um, which falls on New Year's Day. So as introductions go, it's pretty hard for him, isn't it? I think it's not he's, easy. No, and I think, to be honest, he's going to be praying that so many of his team don't get picked for the World Cup so he can have six weeks of grinding out with them, right? But, yeah, exactly. And sort of looking at it from a... If, I don't know if this is like a weird sort of perspective, but I, I think it's ideal for him that he lost the first game in charge against Newcastle because it doesn't sort of paper over any cracks and he can actually see what's actually wrong with the side. Whether if it was like a scrappy 1-0 win, it doesn't really help the situation. Does that sort of make sense? Um, do you, do you see where I I'm don't, coming from? No, because I still think points on the board. <laughs> I still, uh, yeah, points on the board. I, I don't think he'll. I, I think he's a sensible manager, and will be coming in with. He will have no disillusions about what he's walking into. I don't think that if they'd got a point or two, uh, a point or three at the weekend, he would be going. Oh well, it's not so bad. Um, I think if they, I, I still think he'd be very realistic about the job at hand, regardless of the result this weekend. Um, and to be honest, let's be honest, no one's going to turn around and go, no, I don't want points this week to, uh, to be no, honest. No, no, I'm no, I'm, I'm not saying it in the sense that he was going to turn down points, but I, I I think it sort of definitely clearly shows that this is a bit of a side that is going to take a lot of work to get up to that's where true. fans expect them to be. Yeah, no, that, that's fair, I guess. Um, looking at where they are in the table now, so they are only one point off the drop zone. They're part of that Midlands group that we were talking about last week, aren't they? It could They're, still happen. It could still happen, whether it's Leeds or whether it's Villa. I think Villa will be fine because I think Emery will turn it around. The one thing that's intrigued me is that Emery, in terms of league performances, he always typically sacrifices them for great cup runs. Obviously, he's got a phenomenal track record in the Europa League, which Villa are nowhere near. At the oh, they're nowhere near by that, no. So you do wonder whether... Actually, now his focus for the season. Do Villa currently have enough in their squad to get safe, but also go on a strong cup run? It's a what? It's quite a way that, up, isn't it? Let, but let's be honest. What all fans want, like to be honest, say Villa could get twelfth or fifteenth. So say they could get twelfth. Their maximum position would be twelfth this season. Hypothetically, he gets them playing well. They turn out some good results. Twelfth, I think, would be very good for them, and maybe the maximum I think they could get this season. But would you say Villa fans would be prepared to sacrifice, say, a twelfth for like a fifteenth or sixteenth if they then went on a good cup run and get a bit of like joy around the season? I, it's sort of from a neutral perspective, sort of looking at this Villa side, I would imagine that. Villa fans would look at I never never turned down the opportunity for a good cup run, but I, I think the way this Villa side have been sort of really sort of stalling since they've come back up. They had a good sort of run initially when Dean Smith took over, but in the last couple of years they've just been nowhere near that sort of level. I think Villa fans will be wanting to look at this Villa side and just wanting a performance level back um and not being sort of walked over week after week. Okay, I think that's fair. And that's yeah. If you can get the performances going and then build a squad up, um, there are, I think there's some sort of players that need sort of moving on from that Villa side to get up to an actual decent Premier League sort of squad. Then you can start potentially looking at, at a cup run. But like I said, never turn down a cup run. If it, if Villa do go on a cup run, they can't risk their place in the Premier League for it. No, of course not. And that's why 
Yeah, I don't think any manager yeah. would realistically do that. Um, no. Sam Allardyce would famously, well, at West Ham um, at least, he would always, would almost go out the, always go out the cups as soon as we were in them because he, when we were fighting for survival, he had no time for them whatsoever. Um, we'd be out of them in seconds. He would always field teams that were poor, and yeah, that's why when West Ham have now been on a couple of better runs recently, it's uh, it's been a good feeling because there was quite a few years where we wouldn't even get close and we wouldn't even try. Um, so you know, it'll be interesting to see how Emery takes this club forward because yeah, he's very much a cup manager. That's where most of his he success manager, has yeah. come, and Villa aren't really. They're not in a position to be a cup side. Like no, this season, if it like you'd be amazed if Villa won the FA Cup this season, wouldn't you? I'd, I'd be very amazed. I, I I can't see it happening, but um, it, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, it'd be, I'd be very surprised. Exactly. So, no, we'll uh, we'll see uh, we'll see what happens with them going forward. Tough couple of fixtures now, running up to the World Cup, and then even afterwards. So, let's see if he can turn it around, but. I was very positive about the move last week, and I feel like I'm now being very negative about it, even if it was just one result. Oh, you, you can't really, you can't judge it. I, I still no, think it's a good move. I, I do think it's a good move, but I just think it's going to be really, really tough for him. Um, but good luck to him and good luck to Villa. Although, yep. you know, if they if they're Midland side that goes down, it'll be really interesting for the stats. Just saying. Yep. Stat, I'm just stats corner. It'll be updating your line. Exactly. Stats never lie. And continuing with the Halloween theme of the episode, um, at the weekend we saw the truest footballing embodiment of Jekyll and Hyde featured in Wolves' starting eleven against Brentford at the weekend. He is known for his antics and aggression. Um, should we have been surprised at all that Diego Costa got his first red card before he got his first goal, Tom? Um, I do. I really want to look at what the odds were for that, but. Um, yeah, I that was I think that was always going to be the question because he was very he's a very aggressive sort of player and he, he loves sort of t- like sort of pushing the line a little bit in, in certain places. I think and he also gets frustrated easily. He does, um, and he's one of those players that I think you can easily sort of wind up and lead him down down the um, down a bit of an alley. But yeah, I mean, clear red card. It, it went to VAR headbutt on Ben Mee. Um, Bobby Madley had absolutely no choice but to send him on on his way. Yeah, um, as if we spoke about. I feel we spoke about this that as if Wolves needed any more problems with their forwards, two injured, and then Diego Costa like, out for three games. Out, out for three games, so he's now going to be useless until the new year. Oh, actually, they've got a League Cup fixture that account, so he'll be coming back yep. for After Boxing Cup, Day. It? Yeah, it'll yeah. be a bo- it'll be a Boxing Day return. So Wolves now don't have a striker that is fit or not suspended. He's absolutely put him in it, hasn't he? He really has. Um, like, like right when they're not scoring goals at all at the no, moment. Neves has saved them and clawed them back a couple of points over recent weeks. Um, I think his goal against Brentford was a particularly good goal. Like oh, for, so a one, is it, is it for a one-all, yeah, for a one-all, two really good goals. To be honest, yeah. Um, but he's done them no favours. No one in the dressing room is going to be liking him after that, are they? No, I, I think that the wall sort of roller coaster of um, what the hell are they doing this season sort of still continues. They still haven't um, appointed a manager and now they have absolutely no front line. 
is it is it too late to say that they're definitely uh, sorry is it too early in the season to say they're definitely going to go down because <sighs> this is a recipe for disaster at the moment they would need something miraculous to happen i think for it to change because they currently I mean, don't they don't have only, a great what, two defense points? one or two it, points it is but the, it, you're right it is only one or two points but it's not looking good for them is it like, no it, it, no striker would... no manager relegation zone they've got in their games coming up they've got brighton and arsenal before the world cup when they return they've got everton away at goodison and home to man united uh, before the turn of the year oh god <laughs> and that's them i don't think i'm just looking at who they've played so they've still got their fixture against liverpool to catch up on <laughs> it's going to be torrid for them like where do they pick up points at the like, at this po- moment of the season? Because this, this is the huge question that I I just, I just can't see it. And we, we're sort of saying you know two games to go before the World Cup. Who is in desperate need for picking up points before the break? Wolves has to be a prime candidate for it because, like you said, that 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 fixture run is just horrendous. It's just that that you, you couldn't have picked sort of like a worse run. I don't think. No, not at all. I suppose for them, the only thing is that they're only a couple of Premier League games away from the January transfer window. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think that's that's what the break helps, I think, with a little bit for um, for players. You're not that far away in terms of game time away from from the, the window opening up and bringing in potential reinforcements. And they really need to. They need to bring a striker in, don't they? Yeah. But unless, I suppose, there's miraculous injury recoveries, but... I to be doubt honest, it. Yeah, and Costa looked like he'd had a little bit of a sniff at goal, but he's... He, he did look good at the weekend. He's, he felt as though, I feel like he's getting closer back to, not not necessarily his best, because I think those those days are sort of been and gone, but at least a sort of uh, veteran sort of Premier League striker who can sort of come up with a goal here and there type thing. Yeah. The last couple of seasons, well, sorry, the last couple of games though, there's just been a couple of chances where I think the old Costa would have just kind of put yeah, his foot through snapped, it and yeah, snapped up. Yeah, and he's just kind of stuttered and held himself and like checked back and tried to cut yeah. in. And he just hasn't seemed to be the clinical striker that he was. And to be honest, realistically, they were never going to be signing that striker because he's he's long gone. Um yeah. but it just feels it just feels a oh, it's just madness for me. That when I saw that he got sent off, it didn't surprise me. One bit, it's the red mist, just and just falling down completely. And to be honest, the incident itself, it's no worse than any other incident in the Premier League in terms of what Ben Mee was doing. Ben Mee had a bit of a hold on him, but Ben Mee knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, Ben Mee, like it, he played probably, him like a, he played him absolutely so well there. Exactly, he knew who he was up against. He knew that if you wind him up, he will he will strike out. Yeah, and he did, and it was. Yeah. It's the fact that Ben Lee went down and then the ball went into the box and then Bobby Madley saw that it was a head injury to stop the game. And then Costa then proceeded to then walk over to Ben Mee, lean over him and shout at him after he just headbutted the bloke. I think it was also more of a giveaway, sort of looking at the, the highlights, the fact that at the sort of, after he'd done it and sort of the play was sort of carried on and then the ball went dead, he was just sort of rubbing his head. <laughs> yeah. As if, you know, I'm trying to not give away what's actually happened here, but this is a like, clear telltale sign of what I've just done. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just, it, it's funny in the way that it was so foreseeable. Um, 
it's just a shame for Wolves because it's the last thing they needed right now, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, they need a bit of stability right now, especially with the man- managerial situation. Exactly. Um, and I, the only I, way they were going to score goals with Costa is having him have game time. Exactly. Um, and now, like well, like we said, he's going to miss the next two Premier League games and then a League Cup game. And then you've got the, the World Cup break. And now he's going to be, again, not much fit by the time the Premier League comes back. Well, to be honest, he's not going to go to the World Cup. So I suppose they just could put him on an intense... Uh intense fitness scores and make sure he I know there's a difference between training fitness and match fitness yeah, quite exactly. clearly but it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of teams have like behind closed doors kind of friendly type fixtures throughout the World yeah. Cup yeah I, I, I could, think that's probably going to be the case yeah I could see them doing like picking up some like League 1 or League 2 teams and going and having a game against them a bit um, behind closed doors action yeah yeah just to try and get some fitness but it wouldn't surprise me if he then gets sent off in them because he's <laughs> he's not absolutely he's them all out but to be honest, looking at the uh, so they've got um, they're home to Brighton, who are high well back to playing as Brighton we know can play, and then midweek they're at home to Leeds in the League Cup. That's surely a write off, isn't it? You feel you put your eighteen your you put your eighteens out and see what happens. You don't yeah. you don't even bother risking injury for the rest of your side, do you? Oh, absolutely not. No, I mean this is no. Wolves. If there's any team right now that Wolves don't really shouldn't really be looking out for a cup run now, uh, if there's any team that shouldn't be looking out for a cup run right now. It's Wolves. They uh-huh. they need to desperately focus on their league form. Their man Forest, to be honest, both of them. Well, because yeah. they're both at rock bottom of the Premier League. Um, yeah. So if you do have a fiver, to be honest, I might be slipping it on uh, Leeds to go to Wolves because Wolves should not be taking that serious for one second. They should be no. they should be happy that they'd be out in, out of that competition. Yeah. Um, um, also, a surprising statistic that I've literally just picked up on. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about Diego Costa and his um, his uh, aggression, and that he's yes. always like one step away from a red card. That was actually his first red card in the Prem. Behave, was it? Yeah, that was his first ever red card. <laughs> That, He's had 26 that, yellows, but one red. That is actually really impressive. I thought he stunned he'd, by that. Wow, that is quite impressive. I 100% thought that he would have uh, had a lot more than that. To be honest, he doesn't even have that many red cards throughout his whole career. For a striker, though, he has had a hundred throughout his career has had 139 yellow cards. Oh, great! I love that. Now, because when he was last in the Premier League, there wasn't VAR, so true. Could yeah, and some of those yellows season, been turned in... into? So his final season of the Premier League was 16-17. Yep. Um, he played 35 games and got 10 yellow cards. So at least a couple of suspensions, yeah. That's, yeah. that's quite a lot for a striker. Yeah, and the two seasons before that, he got eight yellow cards in each. That's quite impressive for, for I, the man. I can't remember any sort of like particular incidents with him, but I, I, I do suspect oh, he, some of those could have been changed for to a Reds. fight, though, didn't he? Yeah. He was involved in that Tottenham-Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge where it all kicked oh, off the in bridge. the 15th. Yeah. yeah. He was involved in that, surely. Um, yeah, there must have been a red card thrown in there somewhere for him. Wow. <laughs> if... <laughs> he, he perhaps should have had one, but wasn't caught. Cool. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Well, I'm I'm sorry, Diego. I thought you were uh, I thought you were worse than you are. Apparently, we've got your uh, all misunderstood. Well, um, you've you've not helped your all side, so there is that. No, but... you've absolutely not helped your all side by getting that uh, red card, and uh, you deserve every fine that comes your way because you've <laughs> absolutely let them down massively. And now it's time for the listener's favourite part of the show. It's Stats Corner.
Welcome all to another edition of Stats Corner and to the long-awaited return of the other 14 alumni. Now you have to scroll quite a way back into the uh, back catalogue of the other 14 podcast, i.e. nine episodes ago. Um, I did a recollection of the career that was JJ Okocha and sort of a couple of weeks on, I felt like it was time for a return. So this feature is all about looking at not just other 14 players gone by, sorry, this feature is all about looking at not just some of the other 14 players that have gone by, but maybe teams, managers, or moments that we all remember that made us all fall in love with the other 14. This week, I've decided to look back on the 2007-2008 season, and for some of our current other 14 sides, it was quite a successful season, with Everton, Portsmouth and Villa qualifying for Europe. Portsmouth even managed an FA Cup win, and were part of the highest scoring game there's ever been in the Prem, when they beat Reading 7-4. Great game. But for one poor team, it was a season of despair, misery and utter embarrassment. Sorry to bring it up, Derby fans, but this year saw the lowest points total ever for a Premier League campaign and the earliest relegation for a Derby County side that had no hope of being saved. So, Reese, what do you remember of that poor season? Obviously, I remember the season. And then most prominently, I remember that probably about 10 years ago now, um for christmas i got one of those you know kind of books that you get for christmas that's kind of like i'm going to describe them as a toilet read where um it's a bit nonsense of a a bit nonsense of a book but it was called the worst teams to ever play football and unsurprisingly that derby county team was in there um i remember surprise me exactly i remember robbie savage being their captain um yep but I really like Robbie Savage, which puts me in the uh, in the minority. Um, and I also remember from uh, some comments from their manager about points and drivers licenses at one point. Yeah, I, I think going into that season, Billy Davis um, led their team out for the opening game week. Um, but after a, I think it was a two 0 result, a uh, two 0 defeat against Chelsea, um, he just absolutely lambasted the board in terms of the fact that he felt there was um, real sort of underspend for the um, sort of upkeep of the squad, especially with their promotion from the championship to pre or what might be, I think the old, um, the old league one um, prior. Um, And he was ultimately sat at the end of November after making those comments. Um, And that was with only one with only one win under the belt at that point. And for then after that, Derby didn't actually win a game for the rest of the season. They um they only managed one win that entire that entire campaign. Their final sort of line was 38 games played, one win, eight draws and 29 defeats. Um Paul Jewell came in and took over and Jewell at the time was quite sort of highly regarded, but nothing actually changed at all um with Jewell coming in. I think it was a season that I think it was always destined for failure um, when they first came in. And it was a season of just records that as a side, you just don't really want. So lowest points total with 11. Um, <laughs> fewest so, goals. That is so poor, isn't it? It's 11. And we sort of sometimes say when teams get off to a poor start, and this is how bad, this is sort of how cult sort of heroic it's become for this sort of Derby County side, is that whenever we see sort of teams start poorly in the Prem, we always mention Derby. 
Yeah, that's it the is thing a about case it. I think a couple of seasons ago on Sheffield United's second season when they started off badly, it. it was Will Derby, uh, Will Sheffield United beat Derby's record because they went for such a long time without picking up any points. Yeah, that's the thing, and um, it was also yeah one one win in thirty eight games, um, which was a uh, one nil win where Kenny Miller got the winner in the thirty ninth minute against Newcastle at home, um, and they actually picked up. Um, in the return fixture, a point against Newcastle. So Newcastle, in, in overall, count, accounted for thirty six percent of their uh, their points tally that season, um, which is horrendous <laughs> or funny, however way you want to look at it. That is quite amusing. Um, well, so yeah, earliest earliest relegation from the um, from the Prem the, on the 29th of March. This is how bad it got for them. Um, and this was not even sort of that late on in the season. This was early. So after five games in, Paddy Power actually paid out. Um, for Derby to relegate to be relegated. Oh wow! Yeah, five games that, in. That that's embarrassing. Um, and a, another sort of mad stat that I, I sort of found out with this because it, it's just sort of it's records that you just don't want um, at all. Um, so with their one win in the league that season, they actually equaled a 108 year record of a team that doesn't actually even exist anymore. So at the time, um, 108 years ago, that was from 2007-2008, Loughborough managed one win in a um, in a league campaign. And that team was eventually dissolved in 1900. So, oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's even a stat that you just, you know, you just don't want. So that's that's matching a 108-year a record. <laughs> just that goes is... to show how poorly that, that team was um... just so poor. It was. So Kenny Miller was their top goal scorer that season in the league, wasn't he? He must have been. Yeah, I'm I trying think, to remember how many goals so he scored, but he it can't got, have been that many. So I'm pretty sure it was only four. Um, so just because... Yeah, um, Kenny Miller, four goals. So four goals for Kenny Miller. I do wonder if there's ever a team who, or in the Premier League where their top goal scorer has scored... Surely no team has ever had a top goal scorer that scored fewer than four, or even four. I think that's that one to find out case. another week. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so, have there been any other teams that have ever come close to this record? Yeah. So, I, I feel like we're sort of having a little bit of a a dig at, at Derby here. So, let, let's try and ease the tension a little bit here. So, um, there have been, in terms of the other five worst Premier League seasons, there's a team that features on it twice. So, that takes a little <laughs> bit of the pressure away from Derby. Um, <laughs> So we're going back to in fifth, it's Sunderland in 2002-2003 when they finished with 19 points. Oh, that's low. Villa finished the 2015-2016 season with 17. I think that was under Tim Sherwood. Or one of, would, uh, yeah, well, I should have that's went that's more Was that semi sort of Tim Sherwood? Remy, was that the Remy Guard era as well? Yeah, I think Remy Guard started the season. Yeah. Um, and then Huddersfield got relegated back in 2018-2019 with 16 points. That was second season, wasn't it? That was second season. And then to finish off that list, um, in second in second place, Sunderland again in 2005-2006 were relegated with 15 points. So they got relegated in 2002-2003 and then spent a couple of seasons in the championship and then got promoted again and then relegated the following season with 15 points. So it didn't really improve for them. Wow, I suppose that might make Derby fans feel a little better. That yeah, 
But I suppose the damning thing is that they got relegated and haven't made a return to the Premier League since. At least Sunderland yeah. have yo-yoed a little bit, I guess. Yeah, and I think yeah. that the closest that Derby have come since um, since then was a couple of, sort of playoff final appearances uh, yeah, back they... in 2014 and 2019. Yeah, because um, they think... re- had a playoff uh, final against... Uh, well, sorry, it was QPR in 2014. And then um... while under Frank Lampard, they got one, didn't they? Yeah, against Villa, um, yeah. which Villa ultimately won and have stayed in the Premier ever since. Um, for now. For now, exactly. Um, and yeah, it, it pretty much just goes to show that that season was just sort of destined for disaster for Derby. Jewel, so, uh, Paul Jewell was pretty um, was pretty brutal in sort of surmising their campaign at the end of the um, in the last uh, game of the of the season. He basically just said, you know, he was very critical of the players Um and, you know, he was sort of looking for players next season who were going to play with a bit of pride, a bit of passion and, um, quote unquote, a bit of balls, if you like. So to just put it in perspective how bad this season was, like currently there are only two teams in the league with fewer points than that Derby side. Um, so it would be for Forest and Wolves not to pick up another another result for 25 games. Oh. Forest to be worse then Derby would be out, would get one draw and 24 defeats out of their next for the rest of the season. That's how bad they were. Um, God, you do feel sorry for them because that's the sort of thing that's on a player's career forever, isn't it? Yeah. And sort of to, this is what I love about it because the Derby fans, they didn't, yeah, obviously things weren't going well. And I think even just before Christmas, I think most Derby fans were sort of, they knew the situation and I think they pretty much had sort of guaranteed or had come to the um, conclusion that they were going to get relegated that season. But they still showed up week no, after week. Good. They still showed up and they still showed their support. I think it was only really until like the last sort of couple of games of the season where the players were really not sort of putting in any sort of effort as Paul Jewell's sort of comments show that then they sort of started to give them a bit of stick. But that just goes to show, you know, no matter what sort of performance levels that you're putting in, if you have a good fan base, they will just be there as support, which, you know, full full credit to to those Derby fans. As we've mentioned, uh, unfortunately, Derby haven't been back in the Prem uh, to reprieve themselves since. Um, we know the financial troubles that they've been through, and it is really sad to see any club go through what Derby have been through, especially when it, it could mean liquidation. Um, but after really what can only be described as like a roller coaster in terms of talks with potential buyers and administrators and relegation for the championship last year, managerial changes left, right and centre. Um, a buyer was named and uh, purchase as well as exit from ad- administration was finally confirmed on the 1st of July. So it, it does seem that, you know, after all the turmoil that Derby have been through um, sort of in the, like their recent history, they're finally starting to find their feet again and have got on with life pretty well actually in, in League One as they currently find themselves just outside of the um of the playoff spots. So yeah, fingers crossed for them. Um and uh that about uh, wraps it up for this edition of uh, Stats Corner. Uh, obviously we wish Derby well for their journey and, and hope to see them climbing back up the pyramid in the not too distant future. And hopefully, hopefully they can get themselves back up to the Prem at some point and try and prove that they are better than that 07-08 season. Because they do have quite a history of um the top flight they've you know had 65 seasons in top flight football so fingers crossed for them any suggestions for any club manager player or moment that you want us to have a look at please send us in um all the details can be found in the show notes or at the end of the pod perfect thank you tom um it's quite the impressive record that derby set 
the sadist in me really wants a team to beat it one day. Do we think though that um, I, I think that record will ever be beat? I think realistically, with now the money that's in football, no team would ever be so unprepared to ever. I think looking at all recent well, seasons, every we team... say unprepared. I mean, like like Forest at the moment look ridiculously unprepared, but they're like you said, they're already on what like ten points. They're on nine, yeah. But that's the thing. I think there's no there's no way that a team comes up and is so out of its depth anymore. Well, no. I think Derby at the time, for a whole host of reasons, didn't have a score good enough. I just think that with the money that you get from promoted from the championship these days, that you can't ever not have a squad that can't pick up four wins. That's the reality of yeah. it. You get four wins and you stay in the, uh, and you beat that record. And I don't think any team, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's possible for any team to do worse than that when they're coming up from the championship. No, no, exactly. and also I think one win of thirty eight is just horrendous. Yeah, and I think the quality of the championship to now, I think you could put mo. I, I think there's a fair amount of championship teams you could put take away and put straight in the Premier League, and they would be able to get yeah, absolutely. that minimum amount of points. So, um, I just think at the time it was the landscape was a bit different, and <laughs> it's uh, it's embarrassing for the players, and it will haunt their careers forever. And I do feel sorry for them, but you know. At least they've got a record of some sort. It's a Premier League record that they're part of. It's Halloween, the scariest time of the year. But this game week, we definitely saw some tricks and some treats. It's Goal of the Week. Goal of the Week. This game week has had loads to pick from, Tom, with the other 14 banging in 15 goals. So, whose did you like the most? I think there was, there was quite, I mean, Sunday didn't really offer anything because the two other 14 teams that did play that weekend didn't, that, that Sunday didn't actually score any goals. But Saturday was the main focus, I think. In all fairness, um, Declan Rice was really and, close to scoring a 30 yard wonder strike. Just uh, there was did a it go in? Here. As I said, it was very close to going in. Um, <laughs> there was a goalkeeper in the way who put his hand in the way. Um, but anyway, your nominees for goal of the week. Let's go through them. So let's go through. Um, so first up, um, Kiefer Moore's first strike against Spurs. I th- felt that you know that was quite that was Bournemouth. I think at their best, at their quintessential best, they absolutely ripped Tottenham apart there with that count that counter attack. And the finish to boot was just sort of he was going away from goal, right foot, sticking it past Hugo Lloris into the far bottom corner. Lovely finish and a great end to a uh, strong counter attack. And it's quite the, fun seeing Tottenham be counter-attacked considering their main approach to games is to do the counter-attacking. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Um, and then we go on to Ben Mee against Wolves. I mean, wow, what can you say about that? You know, scissor kick for a defender, especially the like... I, I don't want to say the, like, the likes of Ben Mee, but for someone who... Well, any defender is not really known for scoring goals, but I don't think Ben Mee is that sort of typical goal-scoring defender. No, if anything, he's a heads them especially, in from corners. Especially for... Especially presence. for scissor kicks. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think there are many players, let alone defenders, let alone centre backs, that are known for scissor kicking uh, goals in. So yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. And then we go into Ruben Neves against Brentford in the um, in the opposition half uh, of the same game. You know, two outstanding goals from that game. Um, what is there more to say about that Ruben Neves strike apart from the fact it was standard Ruben Neves? Um, Everyone pretty much knows what a standard Ruben Neves strike is at this point because he just typically, he typically does that sort of 
Um, well, that, that's pretty much the only way he scores a goal. Yeah, rocks up at the edge of the box. And um, yeah, just oh, it was a really good hit again. And then we go on to Leandro Trossard against Chelsea in the first goal of the four goals that Brian scored, even though two of them were own goals. But again, really nice finish from Leandro Trossard. Quick feet, taking it away from Kepa. And then he had two defenders who were set up on the goal line, ready to clear it. And he managed just to stick it in the one point that they weren't there. Um, lovely little finish and got Brian well on the way to a famous, famous win against Chelsea. And then looking at, I know you've mentioned Crescenzio Somerville against Liverpool. Again, very similar to like the Leandro Trostard goal there, where it's very sort of quick, close control, and then just sticking it past one of the best keepers in the world in Alisson. He is one of the best keepers in the world. There's, there's no denying that. Yeah, he's um, conceded a lot for the best keeper in the world though, this season. And he's also made some fantastic saves. Anyway, we're another 14 anyway, podcast. Yes. Um, fantastic goal. For Leeds to snatch a again another famous win at Anfield for you know for the best part of you know at least I think it's twenty odd years. I mean, granted Leeds haven't been in the Premier League for for quite some time, but you know a, a grand old win for for those from Nelham Road. Um, and then our usual sort of inclusion of Miguel Almiron um, appears, um, CC Jack Grealish, with his goal against Aston Villa at the weekend because of course he's always going to make. Um, make it onto the goal all week because he just scores bangers and so do Newcastle and it was a typical finish you just as soon as sort of um Almiron sort of took it sort of just outside the box and you could just sort of sense what he was sort of aiming for just that wicked curler into the far left um lovely finish and deserve it on the shortlist that goal so, is remarkably similar to the one last week isn't it like the way he, he won yeah he, so he, just does, he does box, it really well curling effort can't blame him um in terms of your metric of measuring a quality goal of the week, does he lose points to the fact that he's quite similar to another class goal that he scored last week? Or can he be awarded it twice like for similar been, efforts? I feel like that's being harsh. You know, I do have some sort of harsh rules on this um, on this goal of the week panel, but of uh, this one-man Kiefer panel. Kiefer Moore, I assume, as good as it was, can't be considered. Yeah, unfortunately, Kiefer, I'm going to have to disregard you for goal of the week because even though it was a lovely goal, it was in a losing effort. Um so, I it it feels harsh. I'm not. It was a nice goal, but then again, them, them's the rules. You've just disall- you've disallowed as good a goals this year because I I of have, them being losing goals. So I have, but the goal of the week that I'm looking at is in a draw, though. That's the trouble. But I I We've got I them can't... a point. I think that's a fair result. Yeah, I think, I, that's, I think that's a fair result. And uh, for someone who is not typically known for scoring goals like this, I'm I'm just gonna have to give it to Ben May. I think that was a lovely finish. No, oh, nice. I I was uh, I think it was a great goal. I was particularly happy with Ben Mee's goal because I brought him into my fantasy team at the eleventh hour as a defensive change. I took out James Justin because I thought Leicester would lose to Man City. Sorry, did you bring him for his? Defensive abilities or more. For I, I, I bought, I bought him that's in, just like outrageous. No, well, I bought him in because I know Wolves don't really score many goals, and I'm kind of right there. They don't. Yeah. Um, although it was another second half goal from Wolves, which I don't think we drew much attention to previously. Well, which, we have now, which we have now. But it was a class goal from him, and obviously I was very yeah. happy to to see that go in from Ben Mee. So um, I think it's a very worthy winner. An acrobatic effort from a defender. We're never going to be upset with that, are we? No. As as much as I was sort of half tempted to again give it to Armoron, I just I just felt like this week, especially with that scissor kick, it, it just 
it, it, it takes a little bit of, of magic to take Miguel, Miguel Almiron off his top spot. But yeah, yeah well done, we me. And we can't give it to Newcastle every week. It's not fair. No, exactly. Otherwise, it just becomes Newcastle goal. I mean, that Newcastle goal all week sort of package at the end of the season is just going to be outstanding. Oh, yeah, it's going to be outrageous for them. Wolves will have about five goals to pick from all who are New- Ruben Neves' goals. While, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there's going to be a huge amount from Newcastle to decide who their goal of the season is. And anyway, great goal from Ben Mee and congratulations on your goal of the week. Tom, now moving on to our favourite part of the show, our very intense contest between the two of us. It is our Fab for Predictions game. Yes. So going into this week, um, you had... Uh, it was still pretty close. We both had decent game weeks last week and we we're looking pretty strong. And then we've returned again with some positive predictions and performances from us. That's good because I I generally can't remember what I, what I put down. Oh, okay. So Newcastle v Villa. Uh, we both put 2-0 to Newcastle. It was 4-0, okay. so we both get a point there. Palace v Southampton. We both thought Palace would win. You put 2-1, I put 3-1. It was just the 1-0. Brentford Wolves. We both went bold thinking there were going to be lots of goals. Um, and we both went 3-2. You to Brentford, me to Wolves. one all. So zero points for us both there. Uh, and then Fulham v Everton. So I remember the discussion from last week. And you took the one all, And you got a point there because it did end up being 0-0. I remember I was really tussling with the fact that I wanted to put down a draw, but I thought it was boring and nil-nil crossed my mind. But instead, well, I then, uh, instead I thought Everton were just going to clean up um, and I should have seen that it wouldn't be that. Well, and haven't you so, got pie in your face? Exactly. So you've walked away from this game week with another three points and closed the gap by one. And I've just got the two points of the game week. So that puts you on 17 and me on 20. So we're closing the gap. You are closing the gap, and our, the trend for us both is positive. Um, before we submit our predictions for next game week's games, um, Tom, can you tell us what fixtures we have to look forward to in game week 15? So the upcoming fixtures for game week 15 of the Premier League 22-23 season. It's history at Ellen Road when Leeds played Bournemouth for the first time in the top flight. You have to go back to 2009 when Fulham last beat Manchester City as they face off at the Etihad. Again, more history at the City ground as Forest faced off against Brentford for the first time in the top flight. The Zerbys Brighton travel to Molyneux, buoyed after their win over Chelsea as they take on Costaless Wolves. Brendan returns to Merseyside as Everton hosts Leicester in the Saturday evening kickoff. Emery takes charge of his first home game as Villa manager when United come to town. One of the longest away trips to the Toon Army as Southampton play host to Newcastle. Three wins and five Crystal Palace travel to Stratford to take on West Ham as they look to bounce back after defeat in Manchester. Thank you very much for those games, Tom. Um, a lot of history to be made then with some firsts in the Premier yeah, League. I had absolutely no idea, but then we'll sort of come to think about it. Yeah, Leeds, Leeds Bournemouth first time in the Prem or first time in the top flight and um, Forest against Brentford for the first ever time. Absolutely. So they are included in our Fab Four game. And we have Leeds v Bournemouth, Forest v Brentford, Southampton at home to Newcastle, and the London Derby of West Ham at home to Palace. So, Tom, with this history-making fixture, who do you think is going to be walking away with all three points, or just the one point, at Elland Road? So Leeds-Bournemouth. So we've 
talked about already Bournemouth's sort of poor run of form of late and Leeds maybe potentially turning around a corner with Jesse's sort of tirade and the, the, the win against Liverpool. And again, I think as it stands, I think potentially this could again be going to form. So I will be looking for a... I think Leeds will finally put in a performance. So I'm going to go with a 2-0 Leeds result. 2-0 Leeds result. I like the thought that Leeds might start to turn up. But I don't see them keeping a clean sheet because Bournemouth do score goals. They really do. Um, so even getting two against Tottenham at the weekend, yes, they conceded three, but they still got two goals. They have had a lot of goal field games this season. Yep. So... I'm actually going to go for a 3-1 Bournemouth win. Um, I'm going to... I want to see a stroppy Jesse continue because it's uh, <laughs> it makes me laugh. Um, next game, City ground. Brentford visiting there for the first time in the Premier League then. Um, oh, it's going to be a tough one to call, isn't this? Because Forest Brent- have picked up the odd point and Brentford's form has taken a little bit of a slide. Yeah, Brentford's form has taken a little bit of a slide, but they've been very sort of up and down of late. Um so, what was it what? Uh, actually, I think they're out with Ivan. The Ivan Tony's out for the for the, uh, for the Ivan Tony is out. I think he's picked up uh, one too many yellow cards and he's suspended Ooh. for it. Just remembered that, so that sort of put a little mm. um, little curveball in changed there. Changed it a little bit, hasn't it? Mm. But then again, he hasn't actually scored that. Uh, like last couple of games, he hasn't really been on form and put them away. The only thing no, would be exactly. if, uh, if Brentford were to get a penalty, who then takes charge? So. I think Mbwemo will probably have a good game. I am sort of favouring a draw in this one, I think. I think Forest typically have been playing okay at home. Yeah, they had that um, poor result against Leicester early on in the season. But teams do sort of tend to struggle a little bit there. With Tony being out for that game, I think that will probably be going more close to a draw in my sort of regard. So I'm actually thinking nil-nil here. Nil-nil. Um. I think it will be a low-scoring affair, and I'm going to go yep. for a 1-0 win to Brentford. Um, Forrest just don't... I still don't think they're going to click. I just just don't think it's going to no. work. Well, Brentford, I, can't, I, can't, I, think, I can't see him clicking this game. Yeah, I just don't... I think without Tony, Brentford can still put in performances. Um, and then we've got... Well, relegation fearful <laughs> Southampton at home to European spot high flyers Newcastle. Is it just going to be a Miggy Almiron fest for you, Tom? To be honest, I just can't see any way this goes without a Newcastle win, to be honest. And that's the that's the direction that I'm going for. Um, I Almiron might very well score and he might very well score a banger. Who knows? But I just think with the way Newcastle are playing right now, I think they'll have, they'll have too much for Southampton. And um, even Callum Wilson's back um, starting to score goals as well. Bruno looks good. Everything about Newcastle just looks good right now. So I'm, I, I do think Southampton do look good going forward in, in some occasions. So I do think they will score, but I'm, I'm definitely going for a Newcastle win. So I'm going to go three one Newcastle. A three one Newcastle win. I'm really torn by this one because Newcastle are high flying, but I don't think I can put down three away wins in a row. Um, but I might have to actually. I think Newcastle are going to win two 0 it's an unprecedented Newcastle, Newcastle season. So it is. It's really, really good. And Southampton, although they got the point against Arsenal the other week, I'm not sure they're still quite up to the challenge mm. quite yet. 
Um, and then our final prediction for the game week. Mm. So London Stadium, playing at the same time as Southampton Newcastle on the Sunday. Who do you think is going to be putting the goals in for there? Typically, this has been quite a high-scoring fixture of late. I think the last couple of times these two teams have played, it's been 3-2. Um, so I think both to West Ham, if I remember rightly. Yeah, West Ham, of reason, have had a better run against Palace. But Palace mm. have picked up some good results against uh, against the Hammers as well. Over and I did years. mention it was, it's 3-5 and five for, for Palace right now. So they're on, on a decent run of form. Eze's looking good. Zaha's looking good. Edward's banging in the goals. And defensively, they look relatively sound. Guaita looks impassable at the weekend. But on, on the other hand, I think West Ham will be looking to bounce back after what was a, an annoying defeat, I think, against uh, United. They they looked they looked good in the game. Um, and what was it? Two wins and five now for for West Ham. So I think they are due a good result where they where they it just all sort of clicks because we mentioned the Bournemouth game a couple of weeks ago. Um, and where it was just like a relatively easy game for them where they didn't really have to get out of sort of like second or third gear. Um, I think this will be a tougher fixture for them, but I think it's this game where they'll just click. So I'm probably going to go, I think it's going to be close, but I'm going to go 2-1 West Ham. Nice prediction there. Um, West Ham are unbeaten in seven at the London Stadium. Their last defeat at home in all competitions was their second home game of the Premier League season to Brighton. Um, But otherwise, they've been pretty good there with obviously the European fixtures, not against the toughest of opposition, but they still had to dig in for some results. So I think a home win is an unrealistic um, prediction. Palace for me have, they've been playing well, but they do go a little hot and a little cold. Um, Mm. So I think think I'm going to go for a... 2-0 West Ham win. I think that um they'll okay. I think they'll keep a surprising clean sheet, even though they do have a defensive error in them. So that was uh so that's our Fab Four all put together then for next week. Um some good games, looking forward to those. And uh hopefully I'm looking to extend my lead. I'm looking for some some solid away performances. No, I, I want to close that gap. That gap needs to be closed. No, I, I want you to I want I want you to lose. It's all for me. I'm, I want to be, prove that I'm the best. And with that, it brings us to the end of this episode of the Other 14 podcast. So thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode with Tom and myself. Please subscribe to the pod and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, do recommend us to your friends, family and Other 14 fans. We are now available on all good podcast platforms, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So it is goodbye from me. That's goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week on the Other 14 Podcast. Stop recording. Yeah, click that button.